Hey everyone, I want to jump on here and just give a brief intro to set you up for this episode that you're about to hear, because we have the Young Saints Virtual Conference coming up. It starts on February 22nd, and registration actually opened today. So go to leadingsaints.org slash youth, and be sure to register for this free virtual conference where we talk with 20 plus individuals, or a lot of them actually are presenters that present information to help us be better prepared to lead the rising generation youth. And uh, Smith Alley is one of those presenters that participated in this virtual conference. He did a remarkable job. He's actually 18 and he's already accomplished so much and helped so many youth. And that was sort of the fun thing about this virtual conference is including more youth as presenters. Because obviously, uh, you know, if we want to learn how to lead youth, we should probably hear from some youth as well. So Smith was so awesome to uh, step forward and put together a phenomenal presentation. And so, like I said, this is his presentation from the Young Saints Virtual Conference. And so there is a video that goes along with it. He shows visuals. And so it doesn't completely translate to audio, but you'll get the gist and appreciate it. And this will hopefully give you a taste of what to expect in the Young Saints virtual conference. So be sure to go to leadingsaints.org slash youth and register for free. So here we go. Smith Alley. You're going to love him. Hello. Welcome back to another session of the Young Saints virtual summit, virtual conference as I'm trying to call it this time around. Uh, my name is Kurt Frankum, and today I am with uh, Smith Alley. How are you, Smith? I'm doing good. Thank you, Kurt. Awesome. Well, I know that uh, you're going to introduce yourself a little bit, but for the just out of curiosity, how old are you at, at the at time of this recording? I'm 18 years old. I just turned 18. Nice. Cool. So senior in high school? Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, you've done some phenomenal things online and and brought up some really important conversations and and there were multiple people who suggested I reach out to you for this this virtual conference and I'm glad I did and and that we can finally get to learn from you. So, I'll pass the time over to you then I'll come back later and and ask you some some further questions. So, take it away. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad that I could I could take this opportunity to share a little bit of my two cents and my knowledge. Like you said, my name's Smith Alley. I'm 18 years old now. I keep saying 17. So I just turned 18 years old. Adulthood is kind of scary. I'm a senior at Bountiful High School. Do just the average things. I love to play lacrosse. I love working on cars. I have a motorcycle. Love doing that stuff. Love being outside, exploring, really just getting outside, breathing in the fresh air. And I want to talk a little bit at first about paper cuts. So not all of us have had a broken bone. You know, some of us have had stitches, had to have surgery, but every single person on the earth has had a paper cut. And I want to tell my story about the very first paper cut that I ever got. So here I am in first grade and I'm just, I'm ready to go. First day of first grade, walking into Miss Rooney's class and kindergarten had been great. I had a lot of friends in kindergarten I went to a charter school, so we had these uniforms, and I was I was just feeling amazing. Camo backpack, red shirt. I was wearing super high white socks, just ready to go. And I walk into the class. I sit down at the yellow table, which was right next to the, the red table and the green table on the other side. And so I sit down, and I start talking with my friends, Ellie and Jackson, who I had gone to kindergarten with. 
you know, just chatting it up. And then class starts and Miss Rooney says that we're all going to introduce ourselves one by one. So kids start standing up, introducing themselves. And it, it comes around to my turn and I stand up and I get a little nervous and my legs start to shake. And I had had a stutter. And so I say, ha 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 ha. Hi, my, my, my name's Smith. I'm all flustered. And I'm like, dang it. That was the one chance. That was the chance I had, you know, to get off of the right foot. And I sit down and a girl from the red table looks at me and she says, why can't you talk right? And that was the very first day I got my very first paper cut. Now, as you can tell, I'm talking about paper cuts, not that we get on our fingers, but paper cuts that we get on our heart. So that day I kind of put up a facade um, that I was okay. I started pretending to be the person that everyone else wanted me to be. I told my parents that I was okay, that I was happy when inside, I just felt like I wasn't enough. And then when I was nine years old, I got exposed to pornography. My parents had given me this Android tablet for Christmas and they thought it was safe because we had Wi-Fi filters. But when I was searching the internet, I clicked on a, on a link that wasn't what I expected it to be. And so I was exposed to pornography there. And, you know, just a quick story. Throughout growing up, we like my parents had the conversations about pornography. We talked a lot about that. In fact, the second Monday of every month was pornography night for family home evening. And I remember that, you know, it would come the second Monday and my parents would be like, okay, kids, you know, it's time to talk about pornography. And we'd say, oh, mom, again. And this was a, this was a common topic in my house. And so I remembered at this point where I was exposed, I remember, oh, turn it off and tell an adult. And so I turn off this tablet and immediately I think back to that first grade, that first grade Smith who felt like he wasn't enough. And I was afraid that even just being exposed to, to this evil content made me lesser and that I felt like my parents would be disappointed in me. And so I didn't tell them about the experience. And then about a year later, 10 and a half, 10 and a half years old, pornography crept back into my life as a small fix to everything that I was feeling and dealing with. It was my drug. It was the way that I felt the love because I didn't feel worthy of the love that my family was trying to give me. And then, you know, I got social media at 11 years old and I started getting online and comparing myself to everyone on there. Social media led to my increased consumption in pornography. And I remember getting on social media and seeing these people who were living their highlights and were living their best life when I was just living my normal one. I was only seeing the best part of theirs when I was dealing with my mountains and my valleys. And so I'm getting on there and I'm seeing these people and I'm seeing these guys that are just completely shredded with their washboard abs. And as you can tell, that wasn't me. So I kept hating myself. I kept hating my body. And in my eighth grade shop class, I made a plan to take my life. Now, fortunately, I'm still here today. Through a series of events, I decided that my life was worth living. But I still found myself at 14 years old, depressed, dealing with a lot of anxiety, consuming pornography anywhere from five to seven times a day. And I was wearing these masks. I always was putting up this fake smile. I didn't want anyone to think that I wasn't okay. I was always trying to make my parents believe that I was okay, that I was happy, that there was nothing going on. Always keeping everybody at an arm's length away so that they couldn't see what was going wrong with me, going on. And so how far can you go down the wrong path before you can't get back onto the right one? 
through a series of events, my parents found out about everything that was going on. It was a crazy emotional day. I ended up joining a recovery program, getting a therapist and taking what felt like a million steps to recovery. And now I've been able to travel all over the country and speak to schools and church groups about the harmful effects of social media and pornography, talk about mental health and when it comes to depression and anxiety and eating disorders, and ultimately inspire kids to live life bigger, to live a life beyond their potential. And so I've started this nonprofit, the Live Life Bigger Foundation, and I speak through that. And I've also been able to start a company, Protect Strong, and help parents. You know, I saw this big gap where my parents' generation is the only generation that will ever have to grow up without technology, but parent kids who have it. And so I set up a company trying to bridge that gap and help parents set up their technology safely for their kids. Um, And although all of this is great, I've been able to find a lot of success in this, in my recovery. The greatest thing that I've gotten is this. It's regaining the connection with my family, with my sisters, with my mom and with my dad and being able to feel that love again. I want to go back here a little bit. I remember the day after my parents found about everything, found out about everything I was involved in. I went and I I saw the bishop, and I was walking into the bishop's office, and I felt like the adversary was screaming at me not to open the doors. And so I opened the door to the church, and I walk in, and my bishop is there in the lobby. He shakes my hand. We walk into his office, and I just start crying. And I remember, I remember sitting there and crying and I never felt one speck of judgment from him. I never felt anything like that. And then after that meeting, I called my dad and I asked him to come down to the church and and give me a blessing. And as he and my bishop laid their hands on my head, I felt an undeniable sense of love. And I know that that amount and that feeling of love can only come from God. And so finally, I have that love, love again in my life, the love for my family, the love for myself, and the love for God. For a long time, I'd felt numb from the age 10 to almost 15. I hadn't felt anything. I felt like God had abandoned me and I felt like a fraud in my own skin. And what's scary is that I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one who's dealing with this all of the youth, not only in our church, but in, in this world are struggling with something. And with pornography, it's the world's biggest, biggest secret. It's a multi-billion dollar industry that everyone's afraid to talk about. I can't tell you the amount of times that I've gone and spoken at a fireside. And at the beginning of my story, I tell them that I, I got into pornography and people just go quiet. Some people lean over to their neighbors and whisper, It's the world's biggest secret. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Because every morning I wake up with news of a kid who has taken their life because the virtual likes and friends weren't enough to calm real world blues. What are we going to do? Because too many times I've seen my friends sink far into the reaches of pornography because they don't feel worthy of the love that they deserve. What will we do? Because we're starving ourselves and abusing ourselves to build the body that we feel we need to be accepted. And some of the apps that we're carrying on our phone are having serious effects on our society through sex trafficking, child pedophilia, social structures, depression, anxiety, eating disorders. Quite literally, we're killing our generation. 
and we don't know how to talk about it. We don't know how to talk about it. And I think that's because we're scared. You know, when technology first came out, we didn't think about the, the repercussions that it would have on our generation, on my generation. And so parents all over the world willingly handed their kids their first iPad. And you can't be blamed for that. It was a really easy cure. Whenever your kid was crying or bored, all you had to do was put the iPad in their hand and it was all over. And we didn't know what was going to happen. So my question today is, are you ready to make the change? Are you ready to bring tough conversations into, into the light to love, accept, and understand each other? And here's something that I want to touch on before, before we get into the rest of my presentation is that your life is yours. I truly believe that we were given agency so that we could reap the consequences of our behavior, both good and bad. And so as we talk more about how we can better lead the youth in our church, how we can better lead our church, whether you're a bishop or a young men's leader or you're in Area 70, whatever it is, whatever capacity you're leading in, that might even be in your own home, you have the agency to choose. So how are we supposed to heal? Because it's easy to, to stand up here and to talk about everything wrong that's going on. It's easy to talk about the hard things and the bad things, but it's not easy to find solutions, to figure out how we can be better and become better. And so the first thing that I want to talk about is that normal life doesn't exist. And I think this is one of the, pr the biggest problems that we have inside of the church. Now, I, I want to mention that that's not about the church, but inside of the church, because as church members, we're flawed. As church members, we make mistakes every single day. We will always be human. And that's why we have the atonement of Jesus Christ is so that we can come back from those things. And so I want to talk about how normal life does not exist. For so long, I was chasing, I was chasing a level of normalcy. I was trying to accomplish the task of being a normal human. And what I didn't know was that just would simply never happen. And so a little story to talk about this. I told you about my stutter when I was in first grade. So from that point on, I got into speech therapy. And from first grade to about third grade, I worked with a speech therapist at my school. So during school time, I'd work with a speech therapist. And in third grade, I graduated from speech therapy. And so that's going great. I get into the fourth grade. I'm not going to speech therapy anymore. That continues to go well. And then in the eighth grade, in seventh and eighth grade, I went to a, a public school instead of a charter school. And so I get to this new school where I didn't know anybody. It's a complete, um, it's a complete new phase of life, junior high. So I'm at a new school, new phase of life. I'm continuing to hide my pornography addiction. So my stress levels, my anxiety levels are higher than they'd ever been before. And my stutter came back. And I remember one day I had gone to, to Lagoon, an amusement park here in northern Utah. I'd gone to Lagoon with some new friends. And I had caught myself stuttering a lot while I was there. And my mom picked us up and dropped the other friends off. And I started crying in the car. And I'm like, Mom, why can't I be normal? Why can't I just talk normally? And what I realized then, after we went and saw another speech therapist, worked with him for a little while. And what I realized is that I was created uniquely by God to be myself. There is no one else like me. There is no such thing as a normal life. And I see this a lot in the church. Just the other day, um, my grandmother came over to, to give us our Christmas gifts. She had a gift for our family. So she comes over 
And she was talking about something that she did in high school, a mistake that she made, something of the sort. After she told us the story, she looked at me and my sister and she said, but I know that you guys would never do something like that. We put this expectation of normalcy, a high expectation of behavior, not realizing that we're all flawed, that we're all mistaken, that we're all different in some way. So I think it's important to remember that normal life does not exist. The second thing that I wanted to mention is to let your heart break. In so many ways, whether it's told in sports to walk an injury off or to suck it up, we're told and we're taught that it's not okay to be vulnerable, that it's not okay to be hurt, and even sometimes that it's not okay to cry. And I think that's very mistaken. I was raised in a family, my dad's ex-army, so I was raised in a very strict family. I didn't see my dad cry when I was growing up, and I always felt like I had to be tough, I had to be strong. And because of that, I kept so many of my of my mistakes, I kept so many of my feelings inside instead of letting them out. And I've learned since then that it's so important to let your heart break, that it's so important to be able to be vulnerable, to be able to admit that you've made a mistake, that humans make mistakes, and to move on. Another thing that I've learned in my journey is to serve. Now, for so long, I was involved and I was wrapped up in a content that was so selfish. Pornography is the exact opposite of service, of pure love. Service is caring about someone for who they really are. It's putting their needs in front of yours. And that's the exact opposite of what pornography is. And so through my journey, I realized that I was trying to take this bad habit out of my life. I was trying to get rid of my pornography addiction. And what I needed to do was replace that bad habit with a good habit. And so I started to serve. And it was just little things at first. It was unloading the dishwasher for my mom, giving my siblings a compliment, maybe making their bed, small things like that. As I continued to do those small things, they got bigger. I remember my ninth grade year, I was playing lacrosse for Woods Cross High School. And at one of our practices, I started talking about the the recovery group I had gone to. And so I start talking about it with, with some of my friends on the team. And it turns into a bigger discussion with most of the team talking about it. And one of the kids comes up to me, he was a junior at the time, and says, I don't know if what you're talking about is real, but if it is, I want to be a part of it. So then my service turned into helping others, my lacrosse teammates. And then at another experience, I went to EFY, especially for youth, the, the church summer camp. And I remember going there and I told my mom, I said, no matter what, I want to share my experience with pornography and addiction and mental health with the men that I, with the boys that I dorm with. And so that first night, I talked with all of the boys that I was staying with about my experience with pornography. One of them came up to me and said that he'd been dealing with the same thing. He'd been addicted to porn for about three years and his low self-esteem issues due to social media had brought him so low that he had tried to take his life twice. These things just continued to build up and I fell in love with service. For my Eagle Scout project, I put on a fireside talking about the harmful effects of social media and pornography, and over 250 people attended. And what I realized from that experience is that I wasn't alone, is that people are struggling every single day in and out of the church, and that we're not alone. And this is both a comforting and a heartbreaking sentiment, because when you walk through the halls at school, when you go to work, Everyone that you see on the road, everyone that you see in your ward building is struggling with something. 
we were sent here not to live a life where we go through two years of trial and then 98 of ease, but we were sent here to be constantly tried, to be given obstacles to overcome. And we're not alone in that. And that's what I've realized as I've traveled the country, speaking to different groups, churches, schools, I've realized that I'm not alone, that nobody is, that we're all dealing with something. Here are a few of the notes that I've uh, received from kids in middle schools mostly, but high schools as well. This one says, I've been addicted to porn since I was nine too, and it's killed my emotional state. But hearing your story is really eye-opening. Thank you. Smith, I promise to be of service to you and will allow you to be of service to me until both you and I successfully defeat this demon that assails us. I go to Sons of Helaman as well. Thank you so much for letting me know that I am not alone. So as we can see, our youth are struggling. So how can we become the leader that our youth need? I want to focus and I want to encourage you guys to focus on Christ-like attributes like charity, love, acceptance, humility, and vulnerability. I told you about that, that situation with my grandma coming over and creating an expectation that me and my little sister would never get into some stupid stuff at high school. I think that it's important that as leaders, we lead with an expectation of normalcy in the sense that we can make mistakes. We were given the atonement. The plan of happiness is built on the fact that we will make mistakes. Just about two months ago, I spoke at a, a stake in Holiday, Utah. And after I had spoken there, I was contacted by the bishop that, that had set it up. And he said that he had 20 young men that had attended the fireside. And within 24 hours after the fireside, seven of his 20 young men had reached out to get help and guidance from their bishop. Now, I don't have any secret sauce that I bring to the table but what I do bring to the table are some of these attributes, especially vulnerability, acceptance, and love. As we strive to lead our youth to becoming the people that they need to be, to becoming disciples of Christ, I think it's important that we focus on these. The other thing that I wanted to mention and focus on is that we need to be church leaders, not church controllers. As I reflected back on some of the best church leaders that I've had, They've all been exactly that, leaders. I think that too easily we get into a rut where we just control the youth or the other people that we're over, when instead it's better to lead through example. It's better to lead through love. One of the greatest church leaders in my life has been my dad. As I told you, my dad has always been extremely vulnerable. However, after everything happened with me and my story, my family decided that we had to open up more. Since then, my dad's been extremely vulnerable about his past with substance abuse. At a young age, at 16, he moved out of the house and moved to California where he lived by himself. He went to a high school there and played basketball and football, spent a lot of time partying on the weekends. And after high school, went into the army where he had some amazing experiences and reconnected with God. To this day, when my dad has a hard day, he'll come to me and say, these are the kind of days that make me want to pick up a drink. Having that example that he is human, that he makes mistakes in thought and in action, just like I do, has been amazing for me. 
I want to bear my testimony on the living Christ. I know that Christ lives. I know that his atonement can reach the deepest of depths, can heal the most severe wounds. His power can resurrect humans, can bring life to the dead, sight to the blind. I know that whatever you are going through as a leader, as a member, as a disciple of Christ, he is there for you. I know that this gospel is a gospel of love. It is a gospel of healing. And a few words from one of our apostles. To anybody struggling today, I say be hopeful, be happy, and smile. Remember that God is on your side. He is not an angry, vicious God trying to trip you. He is for you, not against you. He is your father, and he is anxious to do everything possible to bless you. I know that God wants us to succeed. I know that as we strive to be the leaders, the leaders, not the controllers, that God needs us to be for our youth, that we will be blessed. I know that Jesus Christ is constantly waiting for us to reach out our hand so he can pull us out of whatever water we are in. I also know that church leaders can have a great effect on our youth today. And through this work, through the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can spread love, hope, and peace to every corner of the earth. Thank you so much for listening. And Kurt, do you have any questions for me? I do. Smith, that was awesome. Really great. I mean, you, you've obviously done this a few times, so that's good. That's good. You know, there's, there's so much here, you know, you talk about this concept of, of paper cuts and isn't that so true that we've all experienced these things specifically in our childhood where they're just these little moments. It's not like this heavy abusive moment, but just these little moments that build up over time and they really impact our identity, right? And I think that's how you articulate is that it was suddenly this moment where you questioned the identity, your personal identity. And so you had to be different, right? And that's sort of where the adversary starts with us. Is that accurate in saying? Yeah, I think that I think that when the adversary can can remove you from a community that when the adversary can single you out or make you feel singled out, that that's when they win. One of my favorite quotes says, addiction is grown in solitude and destroyed in community. And I think that quite simply, Kurt, it's, it's hard to win when we're alone. One of my favorite books, the beginning of the book talks about everybody that's ever lived on the earth. That Satan has practiced with trillions of people to prepare for you to prepare to take down you. He has practiced for tens and hundreds of thousands of years simply to take me down, to drag me down. And when I'm alone, I can't stand up to that. When I'm alone, there's no chance that I have to overcome that. But when we can connect with people, when we can find that community, I think that's when we have the greatest chance. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about these... uh church controllers, right? Sometimes it's easy to default to, yeah, you're a youth leader and that, you know, <laughs> the youth needs some help. And so you, with the best intentions, sort of try and manipulate or control what youth are doing. And then it, you default to behaviors, right? You, how, how you talked about the technology and all these things. And obviously there's some things to address with behaviors and making mm-hmm. sure youth approach technology help 
in a healthy way, but really it comes down to that identity. Like the more they can understand their identity, that's sort of where to begin. It sounds like. Yeah. I think that I did an exercise one time with my recovery group and we went around and we, you know, we said who we were. And a lot of us, like me, I said, you know, I'm Smith Alley. I'm in high school. I play lacrosse. I'm a lacrosse player. I'm, you know, a car geek. So I, I really like cars. I really like motorcycles. And we had to identify as many things that we were. I like cooking. I like, you know, doing all of this stuff. And the thing that not a single one of us said is that I'm a son of God. And when you can default to that, when you, you know, when you're asked, who are you? And the first thing you think of, or the first thing that you say is I'm a son of God, then that's the only identity that you need. And I think that's, that's the most important thing for church leaders to instill in their youth is that they are sons and daughters of God. And because of that, they are enough. And another thing with that, I always say, I always make sure to say that you are enough. Because some people will say you are perfect just the way you are. And that's not true. But you are enough just the way you are. And because of the atonement of Jesus Christ, we're given the tools that we need to better ourselves so that we can become perfect at some point in another life. So we are enough right now and we should always work towards becoming more Christ-like. Yeah. And talk to me about that concept of acceptance, because I think that's where a lot of youth leaders, especially adult youth leaders, they worry that... Well, if they, if I communicate any level of acceptance of who they are, what they do right now, then maybe they won't, they won't want to change down, down the path or they don't see how important it is to change any, any ideas of how youth leaders can better communicate that acceptance and not be afraid of what, it, you know, that those lies we tell ourselves, I guess. Yeah. I think this is a funny concept because there's two sides of the spectrum. Like you talked about, there's some leaders who are afraid of of portraying that acceptance because they want they want what's best for their youth they want their youth to understand that we want them to accomplish certain things in life that we want them to become not only a contributing member to society but also an amazing disciple of Christ and then there's other youth leaders who I've worked a lot with that are scared of cracking open discussions like pornography and mental health with their youth because they're afraid that that will drive curiosity. And what I'll say is that despite what leaders say or talk about, it's already happening in their lives. Despite what firesides church leaders put on for their youth, those things, those topics that you'll talk about are already happening. And then to the leaders who you know are worried about portraying that acceptance, I'd encourage you to instill in them what, what I just talked about where they are a son of God, and that makes them enough. Now, of course, there are three degrees of glory for a reason. And if you want to be able to dwell with God one day, there's work that you have to do. And I think that's something amazing that my bishop worked with me for, is he understood where I was coming from, and he made me feel accepted. But I wasn't accepted for the sin. The sin wasn't accepted. The sinner was. You know, it's kind of like the saying, love the sinner, not the sin. Or some people, I love the the saying that God calls you by your name and not your sin, where Satan calls you by your sin and not your name. And so when you're in, you know, when you're talking about God and Christ, they see you for who you are, not for what you're doing. 
And when leaders can portray that as well, where we see our youth and we let them know that we don't see them for their sin, but we see them for who they are. And for the fact that, again, they are a daughter or son of God and can utilize the atonement to be clean of their sins. That's what's important. We should never say, I love you. And I love that on the weekends you go out and you drink with your friends. That should never be said, obviously. (laughs) But when we can portray the fact that we love the sinner, not the sin, that we believe that our youth and our leaders have the opportunity to utilize the atonement and come back from anything that they've done. I think that's where we can accept for not who they are now, but who they can be. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really helpful. And this concept, you know, you talked about, I think it was during the story about when you went to your bishop and your father came and gave you a blessing and things that you had this moment of feeling love, right? And I think so many youth leaders are out there thinking, well, yeah, I mean, of course, I tell them I love them all the time. I'm always there for them. We do these activities together. Like they know I love them, but is there more to, to consider about this concept of helping youth actually feel loved? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think for me growing up in the church, you know, there are some leaders who, first of all, don't show willing, willingness to, to magnify their calling. Um, there are some leaders out there who are just doing the bare minimum, but I think despite that, no matter what, these activities and the hours that leaders put in, it just seems customary. It feels like they're just doing it because they're supposed to do it, right? And kind of the love through all of that gets lost in in the journey. And this time with, with my dad and my bishop, now something crazy about that is I hadn't felt like, I really do not remember feeling any emotion like love, sadness, happiness, I didn't feel anything for about four and a half years. And that day where it felt like God completely opened my heart so I could feel everything. I think that's something that not only we need to try and chase, but we need to pray for that, that our youth will open their hearts to feel their love. And that can be done in some ways, like just getting to know your youth a little more to pay attention to the little details so that they can feel like you care. Because I think for me, a lot of those activities when I was a youth, a lot of those things just got the love in it got lost in the journey. The love of it got lost where it just kind of felt like my scout leaders and my church leaders were doing it because they they had to, because they were called to. Yeah, that's really helpful. It really is in the, in the nuances of, of the details of, discovering certain, you know, likes of a, a specific youth and engaging with them on that level. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and getting to know who they really are rather than trying to convince them to, Oh, come out and let's do dodgeball. Come on, yeah. get in the center of the gym. Let's do this. Yeah. And the, the youth is maybe screaming inside. I don't want to play dodgeball. That's not me, yeah. you know, and, well, and you're trying to make it me. Yeah. And, and one thing that I know a few leaders do that's been really cool is through their planning meetings, they have each of the youth come up with an activity that they'd like to do that they'd like to host or plan so that they're teaching or they're sharing something that they love or are good at with the rest of the group. And so it might be something like if I wanted to host a a night where we work on cars and then everyone in my priest comes and gets to share my love for cars and we get to share that. 
And then maybe the next time there is someone who really likes skiing or, or swimming, something like that, so that you can share each other's loves for a, for a specific thing. Because I think that when you're just doing those regular things that we've all done, you know, breaking leave service tonight, which I, which I think is amazing. And I think service is incredible, but again, like the dodgeball, those things that we've all experienced as activities. I think when you just continue to do those things again, it's, it's less meaningful for the youth. Mm, Yeah. And you know, there's probably many people listening to this thinking, I'm going to get, we got to get Smith to our stake and he's going to do a fireside. He's going to cure everything. And it'd be great that, you know, the Bishop's, schedule is going to be full, but I love how you highlight that. It's not that you have some type of secret sauce. You've just been able to articulate your experience. And like, I think it was a lacrosse experience where you just mentioned to the group about your recovery and the, the, the recovery resources that you go to. And suddenly it causes other youth to lean in and say, wait, is he like me? Like, is he struggle? Like I struggle. And then people start talking about it. Right. Yeah. I think that, you know, through experiences of uh, scheduling to speak at schools and stakes, people will ask what my experience is. And I say, I'm a teenager. And the only thing that's special or different about me is I'm willing to talk about what I've gone through. And I think that any, not only leader, but any youth can can do what I'm doing and can make a difference in their own ward and in their own stake, just by being vulnerable and being willing to talk about the things that they've gone through. And just through uh, just since my experience, I've seen my ward and my youth group become so much more vulnerable. Just this last summer, we went to Flaming Gorge for a young men's camp, and the priests had the devotional for the last night that we were there. And we just wanted to do a testimony meeting. And never before have I seen that amount of youth share about their struggles. We had one young man who shared about how his mom had overdosed but how he had come to terms with it because he knew that God was the only one who could save her at that point. There was someone talking about their struggles with pornography and people were just continuing to open up. And I'd never seen that before at, at a camp. And, you know, I think that's, that's something that's slow and it's a step-by-step thing that you have to do. But it was just amazing to see how each youth story was similar in a lot of ways because there was a lot of pain and there was a lot of hurt, but they were different and they affected every single one. And, you know, after the first hand went up and was willing to talk about struggles that they went through, then three more went up and then nine more went up, you know, so it just continued to multiply and it was an amazing experience. And I think that can happen to wards and stakes everywhere without someone like me coming to speak. Yeah. I think there's just this natural tendency and maybe it, starts with adult youth leaders where we want to talk about like commandments and righteousness, hoping that we stimulate more commandments and righteousness rather than talking about brokenness and wounds, because we're afraid we're going to stimulate more brokenness and more wounds. When in reality, it has the opposite effect, right? When people share their brokenness, others want to share their brokenness. And that together leads us to Christ, who is the healer of brokenness, right? Yeah, I think... Anytime that we teach anything that that leaves out the Savior, Jesus Christ, and his atonement, that leaves out the key factor, the key part of the plan of salvation, which is the fact that we are human, and this is a test. We're meant to make mistakes during this test. 
Anytime that we leave those key factors out of our teachings as leaders, we're going to lead our youth wrong. You know, anytime that we just talk about what we should be doing instead of what we're probably doing, what we should be doing instead of what we should do after we make mistakes, you know, how we can utilize the atonement, I think we're going to go wrong. Yeah, really, really helpful. And Smith, this has been, been great. I appreciate your presentation and perspective. I found it extremely helpful. Any other point or principle? Did, did we get it all? And, and I got one more question for you, but anything else we missed? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I think, okay. you know, really a big emphasis on just that, the leading with love and being able to emulate that and being able to teach our youth about the atonement of Jesus Christ, not only how they can use it in their lives, but how as leaders we've used it in ours. Yeah. Awesome. And I want to make sure I'll maybe put your slide up here. If people do want to reach out to you or connect with you, this is where all the, all the good stuff is happening that you put out there and, and you, you, do what uh, firesides and and whatnot, right? Yeah, yeah. So they can reach out to you there and, and uh, get more information. But I wanted to last question I have for you is just if you were in a room full of of youth leaders, you know, whether they're bishoprics or young women leaders or priest quorum assistants or whatever, what final encouragement would you give to the that group of leaders? I tell them that with God, all things are possible, and I think that's that's a, an amazing thing that I've learned. Like I said, I'm 18, senior in high school. I have a lot of decisions to make about what my life's going to look like after high school. And I was talking to my friend who just returned from uh, Santiago, Chile on on his mission. And he looked at me and he said, I don't know what your life is going to look like. He said, but I promise as long as you include God in your plans, he will not make your plans what you wanted, but he will make it more than what you needed. And he will, he will magnify you. And that's exactly what I needed to hear. And that's what I'd want to tell youth leaders is that if you include God in your plan, if you include Christ, Christ's message and his love in your plan to lead your youth in your plan for your own life, it will be more than you ever could have wished for. And I truly believe that. Wow. I mean, I was just so impressed by Smith and I'm so excited to see what happens in his uh, career going forward. And he has so much potential and perspective to share. I loved learning from Smith for sure. Uh, Like I said, this is part of the Young Saints virtual conference that begins February 22nd. Registration is open now. So hop on over to leadingsaints.org slash youth. We'll put the link in the show notes and you'll be able to register at no cost and uh, enjoy this virtual conference from anywhere in the world. This is our ninth virtual conference we've done. And uh, man, it is so good. You're going to love the content that is in this virtual conference. So leadingsaints.org slash youth. It came as a result of the position of leadership, which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage 
and ability.